Thank you so much, Charlie. You did a fine job. You didn't introduce me as Sammy Little, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Although I've been called a lot different from that, too. <laughs> it is a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, it's kind of a bittersweet uh, gathering here today because I know that uh, Tim was so loved in this church, but I'll tell you, he was loved in the community, too. And uh, we will miss him, but... Uh, Charlie and I were commiserating together the other day about uh, Tim leaving, but uh, Charlie said something. He said, you know, said this is an opportunity for Tim. I mean, God has reassigned him, actually. He wouldn't leave here because he wanted to. Uh, he, he loves you very much. But uh, God has reassigned him. And, and, uh, but it, Charlie said it's, it's an opportunity for Tim. And then he said, but it's also an opportunity for this church. And I agree with him. This is a great opportunity for you as a church family to pull together, to unite together, to pray together, and together seek the Lord for the very next man that God is preparing to send you to be your pastor. And I pray that he'll be a man who will come and build off what Tim has already established and even go beyond that and lead you further than you've ever been before and deeper with the Lord than you've ever been before. And so we are praying with you about that that God will send you just the right person, and I know he will. He always has, and uh, he, will, he will do so. But I want to compliment you on uh, this church family and your bond of love that you have together and your love for the Lord, and it is an honor for me to be here today. You know, uh, whenever Tim would call me to fill in for him, it was usually on Saturday night about 12 o'clock. <laughs> uh, but to his credit now, he called me about a month ago, uh, they were kind of lining up speakers uh, for the few, first few weeks after he left. And, and uh, so he asked me if I would come today on the 10th and Palm Sunday. And I said, yes, I will. But in Tim's honor, I want you to know I started this sermon preparation at midnight last night. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it'll be fresh if I can remember. Oh, me. We uh, certainly enjoyed the Palm Sunday, the way we entered today, the celebration of the Lord. He is the great uh, king and great victor, and uh, he is a victor of all who will turn their hearts and lives to him, and he paid such a great price for us. And, you know, uh, this Holy Week, I, I love these Holy Weeks because of what they say to us about God's manifest love for us and about the new commandment that he gives to us to love one another, even as he has loved us. The depth of that commandment is, is new. The command itself wasn't, but the depth of it was, to love as he has loved us. And then on Good Friday, the events of this week are well worth remembering and reminiscing over and, and uh, once again repenting over. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I am unmoved and unchanged by the surpassing significance of Easter. And I think this week of Holy Week gives us opportunity to kind of refocus and kind of bring ourselves back in tune with the Lord. And once again, give him praise for all he has done for us and how he has loved us. Good day. Good Friday is uh, this Friday coming up is marks his day he was crucified. You know, I was thinking about that. Good Friday, 
always to me it does not seem to fit that day, does it? I mean, there's nothing good really about uh, sin. There's nothing good about him suffering. There's nothing good about the abuse and the cheering and the disrespect that Jesus received. All that's not good. But I want to tell you, what he did for us on that day is exceedingly good. It is Good Friday indeed, and I praise the Lord for that. God's goodness is always displayed in his love, and his love has no, no, never been displayed any louder than it was that Good Friday on the cross when he gave his life for us. Someone has written that to grasp God's love for his church is to plumb depths that have, not, have no bottom and to climb heights that have no peaks. God's love for us is tremendous, more than we can comprehend or recognize. And so in our time this morning, I just want to invite you to just kind of spend a little time with me in celebrating and thanking God for what he did for us at the cross, the victory that he has given to us in the cross. I'd invite you, if you would, to turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 13 through 15. Throughout Colossians, uh, Paul is writing about the supremacy of Christ, how he alone is the one who can make all the difference in the world. He needs no assistance. He is in and of himself, all that is sufficient for all that we need. And so he is explaining to the church at Colossae and to us as well in this day and time how magnificent Lord, the Lord is and what he has done for us. And he is beginning to talk about that, and he comes to a section that begins to talk about how he has made us alive. So I want to read verses 13 through 15 as our focus for today. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us, with his legal demands, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him that is in Christ or in the cross of Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we pause this morning just to say thank you so much for your great love for us. Father, as we reflect on this week ahead of us, it is a week that is filled with tragedy, of heartache, many things, Lord, that we are not proud of or are glad for. But, Lord, the effect of this week, we praise you for. For without that, we would not be where we are. We would not know the Savior that we know. We would not be saved as he has saved us. So we praise you for that today. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to reflect upon your word, that you will open our eyes, that we might see your word and your truth. You open our hearts, that we might hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, open our courage, that we might respond faithfully to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke's gospel, <clears throat> we find these words. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, that is Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus, knowing that the time for his ascension was at hand, would not waver from the mission to which he is called. It is a mission of victory. 
And in spite of all that lay before him, and he knew what it would be, he would not relent. People tried to dissuade him from it, to turn him in a different direction, say, you don't have to do this. But he knew what he had to do, and he faithfully carried it out. It was his mission to victory. As I think about these verses today, I think about four victories that uh, this passage points to that I think are so crucial for you and me today. And And these are victories that we want to celebrate. We want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We want to praise your name for the victory you have given us in Christ and all that he has done for us on the cross. We can, uh, you know, scarcely speak the name of Jesus without reflecting on the cross, can't we? I mean, we sing wonderful hymns and, and newer songs that we sing. And almost without exception, when we sing of Jesus, we sing of something of his death on the cross. And uh, it is such an important part to the Christian life. Every action that Jesus took, it was because he was headed and pointed to the cross. And so we want to look today at these thoughts and these verses together. The first thing that I see in this passage is that he has given us victory over sin. At the cross, he has given us victory over sin. It is an astounding thing to know that our sins are forgiven, isn't it? That he would forgive all of our sins. And uh, it brings great joy to our life for that. But the Bible teaches us that sin causes God to hide his face from us, to withdraw his favor from us. And abiding sin will cause us to be blotted out of his book of life. And God will not dwell where sin abounds. It must be dealt with, and that's what Jesus did on the cross that day. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus has forgiven all our sins. He's forgiven all our sins. I want to tell you, if it was just all my sins, it would fill up several, several rooms and then some. But he has forgiven all of our sins, the past, the present, and the future. That's an amazing thing to me. I, it's hard for me to fathom because uh, I, would, I have sins in my life that I've done that are hard for me to think that God could forgive. And yet the Bible says that he has forgiven all our sins. I love the old hymn that says, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. All their guilty stains. And then it's almost as if the hymn writer was just in amazement and he reflects again and he mentions that all of our sins, not just once more, but three times more, when he says lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Stains. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And yet, the scripture tells us that we are forgiven. That's no small thing, folks. Every day that we wake up, we ought to praise the Lord for the fact that he is the great forgiver 
of all our sins because all of our sins point to uh, enmity between him and us. Whenever we sin, we are against God. And so we need to thank God for loving us in spite of our sin and forgiving us of those sins. And uh, so we want to thank the Lord, first of all, for our victory over sin. And then there's another victory here, a victory over spiritual death. In verse 13, the first part, it says, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. It is by his death, the scripture tells us, that we have, he has brought us life. That would include every one of us. There's not a one of us in this room today who is not at one time living in darkness of sin and rebellion against God. And we were hopeless and helpless. But God, but God, he is the one who gave us victory over spiritual death. Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And by his abundant mercy and his amazing grace, he alone delivered us. He alone is sufficient and able to do what you and I could never do. It was on the cross that day that Jesus gave us victory over spiritual death and brought us life. He made us alive with him and made us a part of his family because of his love for us. Think about this. If not for the cross... Where would I be today? That's a pretty good thought to, to consider on Good Friday because that cross made all the difference in my life and it would make all the difference in your life as well. But there are also those outside the church who do not know the Lord and they need to know that victory in their life, that only Christ can give us victory over spiritual death. It was through his blood, through his love, that he made that possible for every one of us. And then it was at the cross where Jesus gave us victory over condemnation. Verse 14 says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That term, record of debt, <clears throat> refers to a, something written by hand, a note. Like, if I owe a debt, I write out on that debt, I owe so-and-so this. And he's talking about, we owe a debt to the Lord. And it acknowledges our, our, our sin and our forgiveness and our unforgiveness and our, our separation from the Lord and the fact that we owe him greatly. Today we refer to those things as IOUs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those or not, but there's something about an IOU that can kind of weigh on you a little bit. And uh, when people were crucified in that day, the soldiers, Rome soldiers, would take placards or, or something and they would write across it the crimes or the indebtedness that this criminal owed, and this is why he is being executed on the cross, and they would hang those over the victim's head for all those passing by to see what they had done and why they were on that cross and what they owed. The debt here has to do with our failure to keep the Mosaic law. 
Paul is saying, is referring to the failure that we, we have there. And we owe, he's saying we owe God, God a debt because of our failure to keep his law. I thought about that, that I owe you over my head. It kind of gives a picture, doesn't it? You ever talk to anybody and says, well, let's do this, or why don't you do this? And he said, well, I would, but I've got this big debt over my head. I owe, and I can't do that. So only the Lord can take away those IOUs, can dismiss those debts, those sins that we have. Paul says that this debt stands against us. That is to say it is hostile against us. It witnesses against us. And it's enough to condemn us to judgment and to hell. And in essence, we are doomed because of it until we see these words in Scripture right here says, and he canceled the record of debt. Do you ever have anybody cancel the record of debt you had? Maybe once or twice, but not very often in your lifetime. People want to pay payback for what, what you owe them. And that is uh, what we are, when we accused of, you know, Satan is a great accuser. And he will, you know, he'll talk to you about, well, you, you, you can't believe that you're going to go to heaven. You know, you owe God this debt, and he will never forgive that debt, and you can't pay that debt, so you're not going to heaven. Think of all these things that you have done in your life. That's what the devil says. Here's what the Lord says. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I love the way J.B. Phillips writes it in his translation. He says, no condemnation, condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. It's been nailed to the cross. Not guilty. That's what Christ has done for us on the cross. What a victory that is. I mean, we don't have to worry about it. When, we, when our time comes and we stand before the Lord and he says, why should you be here in heaven? It's, we're going to point to the one who paid the price, who has paid our debt and has taken away our condemnation. Jesus will say, he is mine, she is mine. I paid for them. They are debt free and they are free to enter heaven. No other reason. If you come up with any other thought, it won't work. I'm going to tell you, it's Jesus and Jesus alone by the work that he has done for us on the, cry, on the cross. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord. And then lastly, it was at the cross where Jesus gave us victory over Satan and his host. Verse 15 says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. The reference here to rulers and to authorities, most scholars agree, refer to Satan and his minions, his army, the principalities of darkness. It is at the cross that Jesus disarmed Satan. He stripped him of his powers, and he defeated Satan 
and he made a spectacle of his inability to thwart Jesus' work of salvation. You know, uh, when Jesus went to the wilderness and was tempted by Satan for those days, at the end it says Satan left him, left him alone. But the true thought here is that he left him until a more opportune time. And there had never been a more opportune time for Satan than at the cross. Because Jesus was at his weakest point from a human perspective. He had been beaten. He had been called everything in the book. He had been nailed to a cross. He was weak as he had ever been as a man. And Satan thought, now is my opportunity. For it's never been a more opportune time. I want you to know that even at that point, even in Jesus' weakness, Satan could not stop it. Because Christ is greater. Christ is supreme. You know, in the commentary on Colossians, Warren Wiersbe writes, the death of Christ on the cross looked like a great victory for Satan, but it turned out to be a great defeat from which Satan can never recover. He was defeated and stripped at the cross. Sounds like a good Friday to me. Sounds like the best Friday. Sounds like that's the only Friday by which you and I can come to the cross and walk with Jesus and know him personally. Does Satan still pursue us? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to tell you what. Because of Christ's victory at the cross over Satan, we who are in him cannot be defeated by Satan. The only authority Satan will have over us is the authority that we give him in our own lives. For Christ has done everything needed to be done to prevent Satan from doing to us what he really wants to do, to separate us from God. And in those times when he comes to tempt you, look to the cross. Say, nope, already defeated Satan. You've got no power over me because of what my Savior has done at the cross. And we were lost and we couldn't save ourselves. And we were we had sin that we could not deal with. We had debts that we could not pay. And we had an adversary that we could not defeat. And so Jesus came to the cross. A good Friday, indeed. The psalmist writes, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. On this week of Holy Week, we ought to be joyful. And we ought to praise him for all he has done for us because of his great love for us and because God is good all the time. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you and we praise you today and we thank you. You are our life giver. You are our sin bearer. You are our victor over death. And you are our blessed hope. Thank you, Lord, for the victory of the cross. Father, may we be sensitive to that every day of our lives. 
For there is a watching and waiting world who needs to see in us the victory of the cross and know that that opportunity is there for them as well. So, Father, I pray today that you will renew our spirits, renew our hearts, and cause us, Lord, to rejoice in Good Friday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.